0: Hi everyone and welcome to our fourth episode of Failure Friday where we talk to my friends, family, business owners, clients about how they have failed forward in their life. Probably one of the few podcasts on social media where we're going to talk about the shitty things we've been through and how we have improved from them and not just our stupendous moments that we like to put forward just like Lee and I were talking about. Without further ado, today we are talking to Lee DeCardenas. He's one of my favorite clients. He has a great personality and I'm sure he's going to be an amazing storyteller today. Lee, do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself?
1: Uh, Yes, Uh, I'm Lee DeCardenas. I hail from the great north of uh massachusetts and philadelphia till i was about 10 years old and then moved to florida so i call myself a floridian now i've spent most of my life down here uh married have kids from different spouses because of the mistakes i've made uh over time but uh with uh with different life choices but i'm very happily married have a wonderful family uh, who's a driving force in my life and um, I, I feel blessed to be where I am today.
0: Yeah. Holly is his wife and she is the S H I T. She wears the coolest dresses to work and all of our appointments. She's like something straight out of the sixties. But she's not with us tonight. Maybe another one with Holly would be cool too. That
1: would be she'll cool. do it. That would be cool. She doesn't <laughs> fail a lot other than, you know. I, yeah, you know, I was
0: just <laughs> thinking that as I said that. Like I feel like her failures would be really boring.
1: Yeah, no, she she would come up with them, but I think, you know, they're all relative, right? So your failure might not be as monumental in your own mind as someone else's. So it's all relative, like you said. Agreed.
0: Yeah. Well, let's jump right into it. Um, I always like to ask what career you're in and why you chose it, even if it's not, if you don't choose to take your failure from your career or rather your personal life. But your career is actually very interesting and it's very popular where we are from in Jacksonville military city so tell us a little bit about that
1: okay Um, my primary career I joined the the US Navy Um, not quite straight out of high school I spent uh, a year in college and then went into the Navy Um, did a did a little over 15 years uh, spent time in the submarine force I was a missile technician So I worked on ballistic missile submarines and worked actually on the missiles themselves. So I had grown a technical background as far as that goes, which is a lot of everything. You you do electronics, you do uh, pneumatic systems, mechanical systems, you do a lot of research, you do a lot of different things. So when I got out of the Navy, and we'll talk about all the processes that got me out of the Navy and through to where I have ultimately studied um, I learned along the way that one of the attributes I had that seemed to be successful for me was how I dealt with people Um, because ultimately to be successful in the military that's what you have to be able to do is deal with people on a regular basis so um, I did that and Again, post-Navy, post-career, of naval career, um, and all the adversity that led up to going back to school, I decided to go into marketing. Based on that background of being able to communicate with people and uh, making sure that I could get to an understanding of different customers and things like that to be able to um, understand their needs and match a product with their needs. In doing that, I kind of discovered that I liked more of the analytical side too. So um, I became a number cruncher. You
0: are definitely an analytical thinker. If I've ever met
1: one. Yes. Yes. So I kind of used the knowledge I met or the knowledge I gained from uh, people uh, interaction and kind of applied that to numbers to see, okay, what makes people tick? Why do they? Purchase certain products. What makes certain products attractive more than others? You know, it was a website analysis that I did, and a lot of things like that. And I was I was pretty successful at it. But ultimately, um, family-wise, um, I chose to leave that and uh, support um, the household. And so I, you know, um, su- support my wife's decision to continue with her career. I You know do everything for the house you know kids and the housework and all that stuff and it doesn't sound glamorous but uh that is what i do now knowing that i can do all those little pieces along the way and actually those skills have become very invaluable now because i have to deal with so many different things with you know maintaining the house, the appointments—you know—all these other things that before I didn't really have any interaction with at all. So I will say that this has been probably one of the most challenging of jobs uh, I've dealt with um, throughout my my working career, as you would say. Um, and that's where I am now.
0: <laughs> I'm really happy that you said that because it, a lot of people might not realize this, but it is so much more common today. For the man to say, I actually have several clients where the man is the homemaker. And I mean, contrary to what I think a lot of women would think, they thrive. And I mean, it might take some getting used to at first, but you guys thrive in that role, especially someone who's good with multitasking. I mean, you send me, you're one of the few clients I have that send me spreadsheets before our meetings. So those just seem so organized. I can only imagine what your household looks like.
1: Yeah, I try not to keep it crazy though. (laughs) It's not crazy.
0: It it helps me get my thoughts together. I look forward to your spreadsheet because then I don't have to create my own. I just go off of yours. You're One might be the only person who does that before every appointment, which I'm thankful for. But let's kind of switch, uh, maybe even rewind a little bit. Talk about a momentous failure in your career, whether it's the marketing or the military, and what was your initial reaction to that failure?
1: So, um, I spent 15 years in the Navy, as I said before. I was very fortunate enough to move through the ranks rather rapidly. Um, I entered the Navy in 1996 and was an E-2. And when I left, I was an E-8 Senior Chief Petty Officer, which most people do not attain in a 20-year career. And I did that in about 14 years.
0: Quickly explain the the ranks, because I don't think a a lot of people know that. Okay.
1: Well, first of all, the Navy is completely different than all the other services that have the exact same name. So that's part of the problem there. Uh (laughs) But, or the exact same structure. But anyway, um, you basically have um, the seamen. So that is E1, Uh E2, E3, right? You have a, a, they're like the lower learning class on the ship. And I don't mean lower, like, you know, as, as people, but they are the most inexperienced they're the most inexperienced okay so they get the grunt work and kind of that stuff then the next tier you have is the e4 five and six and i say six with a little bit of hesitation because they are the senior of the e4s and e5s and they're all called petty officers and um they're more of your middle class uh workers okay they're the ones really doing the day in day out the first classes really are the, the leaders of, of the division as far as getting the maintenance done, setting schedules with the individual sailors making sure of that. It's a huge leap forward when you become a Chief Petty Officer, which is an E7. And I say that because now you are in upper management, basically. All right. So. Uh, and I became a senior chief, so I was on top of that. So I led uh, a department of sailors, rather than the division of sailors that the chief petty officer handles. So I was in charge of, of people across not just my um, job as a missile technician, but now I'm in charge of people in the weapon system. Period. As for you know, torpedo men, um, different different aspects of that. So
0: and that took 14 years.
1: 14 years. And, uh, and like I said, typically, that's that's a, very, that's a very hard thing to attain because there is no limit on the number of first class petty officers there can be in the Navy. There, you can make it to first class. As long as you make it to first class, you're golden, you'll retire at 20. There are only 7% of the United States Navy that can be a chief petty officer. Wow. So that is limited by Congress. so to make it you're
0: expensive at that point
1: you're expensive and then to make it to senior chief um, it's another slice of the pie Um, and then to make it to master chief there's only one percent of the United States Navy that is a master chief so as the progression goes and you get to chief now you're in more of an elite type position because there can only be so many of you it's not just a simple Simple progression where you just have to take tests and pass the um, physical readiness tests and things like that.
0: Do you so, think your rank made your failure that you're about to tell us about more traumatic?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And wait, I don't even want to say it was the rank. I mean that is true because it's part of it, right? Yeah, because of the uniform, right? The like, rank's kind of like a uniform, but it's really because of Ooh, I like the that. leadership is kind of like a uniform cuz it is Rank? right it's how right. people perceive you it's how you're perceived but the but the I actual per- the actual the actual perception of failure to me was how i was the the change in the sailors around me how i made my friends and counterparts feel as a result of my inabilities to do my job properly at that point because it's all about trust. The military is all about trust and respect. And once you're you lose that trust and respect, it doesn't matter if you're an E4, an E1, E9, Captain 05, it does not matter at that point. Um, Captain 06, sorry. Um, it does not matter once you've lost that trust at any level, that is where the most pain comes from, at least it did for me. So, um, you know, you make mistakes when, when you're you know, going through, but once you make a catastrophic mistake, it, it really hurts.
0: Tell us about that, speak to it.
1: So, um, I, I, uh, I became a chief petty officer um, on the cusp of a couple different things in my life going on all at the same time. Um, my mother passed away who I was very close to about uh, one week before I found out I'm a chief petty officer which was then one week before I found out I was going to Kuwait um, for an individual augmentee operation even though I was in submarines I got chosen to go to Kuwait to do an army job for a year that's totally confusing I know but yeah. um, all know in that this could even happen. yes uh, it was kind of a draft within the active duty military during uh, Iraqi freedom and uh, Afghan Freedom Wars because there was so many jobs to do the army couldn't fulfill all the jobs that were their responsibility wow. so they had to take people from other services uh, involuntarily and have them go do these other jobs. I was chosen um, to go do that, Um, so I left the submarine world for a year and went and did that over in the Middle East. Totally new experience. And as I was going through my chief initiation, I was going through it away from everything else I was used to, which was the sailors on submarines and and every, every component that I was used to, to a completely different kind of sailors out on the West Coast who are CBs? who are construction sailors. They do stuff on land and they're basically building bridges and and different things on the base and things like that. So that was traumatic in itself. My mother passing was traumatic and now I'm gonna be away from my family for an entire year in the desert where I've never been. Um, And that was kind of the start of the end. So after all of that, that was uh 2008 through the end of
0: 2009 i then terrible time in general
1: (laughs) so i and i I did fine i mean i obviously i made e8 after that senior chief um you know it it was just it was really hard it was a hardship not on me but a hardship on my family of course at, at the time so i got stationed when i came back i got stationed on another submarine the uss georgia out of kings bay georgia and um now I was a new chief um, in charge of, you know, sailors uh, again on the submarine, um, and did pretty well for the first couple months. Um, and uh, just about just about six or seven months through. Um, our submarine broke down and we had to go into dry dock which is kind of where they fix things They take the submarine out of the water they fix a bunch of stuff and it is horrible days um, it's like being at sea being at sea is actually better because you're deployed and your family knows you're deployed and there's a mental kind of process that goes with that we where
0: yeah.
1: well whereas when you're home on in that type of environment you're working 14 15 16 hour days and that's the days you don't have duty where you have to stay on the submarine so you're you it's it's almost worse because you're like an absentee parent that's just coming home for a couple hours eating sleeping Putting a uniform on, going back to work. So your kids are kind of confused. It's a very confusing time for them, and it can be very trying for, for you know for spouse, for a husband, yeah, yeah. So um, shortly after that, we finally got the submarine fixed. We deployed, and um, some things were going on back home that were devastating to me. I'm not gonna you know don't want to talk bad about anything, but uh, it really it really it, I just. It, Having gone through what I'd gone through for the last two years, um, it just, it tore me apart and it just made me go absolutely berserk in my own head. And I spent several days like not eating, not sleeping, just, you know, going through craziness. Um, So eventually the submarine, you know, people in the submarine could tell I was having issues and I was taken aside and talked to the medical, medical doc on board and he said hey we've got to get you out of here and you've got to go see what kind of problems you have
0: (laughs) so So which aspect of that do you perceive as failure because as someone looking in it seems just like the perfect cocktail of disaster but certainly he wouldn't be talking about it if there was not an aspect of it that you feel was failure
1: the failure came after I got through all that and sent back to Kings Bay Georgia um because I was out at sea and we were off the coast of Key West. Um, When I got back to Kings Bay, Georgia, all that family stuff was of course going on. Um, And I was left alone for a long time with my own thoughts. The wife was gone, the kids were there. It was, so I made a, I made some bad choices. I made some bad choices that, it, in, it you wouldn't get in trouble for in the civilian world, but you will get in trouble for in the military. Uh, infidelity, um, you know, missing, missing you duty. Get in trouble like
0: in the military for infidelity? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs>
1: yes, that's in the you know that's in the Uniform Code of Military Justice.
0: I don't think everyone knows that. How do I not know that?
1: I don't know. But yes.
0: <laughs> but you yeah. you as being a part of the military, not your spouse.
1: Correct. Because Correct.
0: infidelity is for those of for those of you who are not married or around married people, it is runs rampant in the marriage world. So that's why my mind is just blown and, and within the military community, specifically spouses that are left alone for a long time during deployment and things like that. Very common, but yeah. this applies to you.
1: I was I was lonely. I was confused. I was drinking alcohol, which I didn't really do anyway. So okay. Well,
0: as I take a sip of my tequila orange juice. No,
1: you're you fine. Timing? I just I just had a sip of my my Mio in water. So, it, <laughs> but um, but no, it was a it was a confusing time for me, and unfortunately, it was a confusing time for my children who were there with me. Um, with mom being gone and things like that, so I just I was trying to do anything to kind of numb the own pain I was going through. However, unfortunately, that you know completely affects your military um, your military life uh, when it comes to. Well,
0: boarding. how did the military find out? Did you tell them?
1: No, <laughs> it, uh, my my wife did.
0: Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So, okay.
1: and, and, you know, once you do that, they started like, you know, tracing me where I was, they had somebody follow me to somebody's house at oh, night and wow. things like that. Yeah. It, it becomes sneaky.
0: So what was your reaction to the point at which you made a decision to get help? What was your, obviously your initial reaction to what was going on around you was you made a bad decision.
1: So well, at what point ha- did
0: you seek help?
1: I had been getting help since I left um, when I got off the boat in Key West, and I got sent up to Kings Bay, and I was getting help for a few weeks. Um, in the form and, of therapy? Uh, uh, no, they were just giving me Prozac. Okay. There was, there was no therapy. Um, this is also in 2010, and then into 2000, uh, 2011, I'm sorry, at the time. Why does that matter? now we're in 2021
0: do you
1: think the middle is better now um no i think the military handles that better now i was given i was given drugs and sent home i had there that is how they handled um, problems they did not there was of course there's psychiatrists and things like that that that's not what they did with me they gave me drugs and sent me home and said behave that's that's how they handled that at the time, and of course that wasn't going well, obviously, no. and um, and so ultimately, my spouse came back. We got in fights constantly, um, of course, when she came back, arguing, yelling, blah blah blah, and mm-hmm. um, we got in one final fight, and uh, and you know we both we both got physical with each other, and. Uh, In the great state of Georgia, you're going to jail. State of Georgia, you're going to jail. There's just no, you know. And again, too, this was, uh, you know, a no-explain kind of county. So, um, so I went from being, uh, and I made senior chief uh, just before all this had happened. um, How soon after?
0: So how soon after?
1: Uh, just just as I was leaving the submarine, I made senior chief just as I was leaving the submarine. So, and and when I say that it's because you've actually you've actually been selected before that ever happens. So, you know, it took it takes like 4 or 5 months for that result to catch up to you. You know, if if I had been going through that at that time and my my, you know, the board had met before that time, there's no way I would have become senior chief probably. I still got to some of the the you know the things to do once I was on shore, that I wasn't on the submarine anymore when I was on shore duty, I still got to do things as a senior chief. But, um, you know, I, I, and that's only because I had made it so quickly, and it, it takes a while to catch up to you in the Navy before you're putting it on and, and starting doing those jobs. But, um, the fa- so, so I went from being on the submarine, having gone through quite a bit, uh, uh, quite a bit of adversity in about 14 months, but I made it through that and, you know, still doing pretty well. And then all of a sudden now I'm in jail, <laughs> you know, yeah, I've, a I've,
0: turnaround. I've,
1: I've, I've caused all these problems. I'm in jail, um. And, uh, you know, when I left, I was there for two days. Don't recommend it to anybody. Don't go to jail if you can avoid it. It's not fun. It was probably the longest 48 hours of my entire life. Um, and this is coming from someone that, you know, was underwater for three months at any given time. <laughs> for ten different times. I went on ten deployments uh, undersea. So... Um, you know, I, that was such a quick fall. It really was. And, oh, it
0: sounds it sounds like it. But while and, in jail, when yes. you're alone with your thoughts, is that when is that rock bottom for you?
1: Um, no, no, because I couldn't. The thing is this about I think rock bottom. You have to be able to understand it. You have to be able to understand when you are at the lowest point and I knew when I was in jail I was still I was still in the Navy so I didn't know what the future held yet a few weeks after that um, I was standing tall before the man and I got kicked out of the Navy when I got kicked out of the Navy oh by the way when I was on the submarine and deployed that last time uh, we were none of the bills were getting paid Um, my, my spouse at the time knew she was leaving, so she was saving every bit of money she could to eventually go. She had power of attorney, so wow. anything, because you, you have to do that when you're on submarines. You have to give somebody or your spouse power of attorney because you are unreachable um, during certain parts of your deployment. You just are. There's, there's no way around that so they get not, not just a you know a specific power of attorney but a general power of attorney which is everything um so uh she basically didn't pay any bills for quite a while um when i was in jail bank account got emptied and now i got out of jail house is foreclosed on I got kicked out of the navy and i am you know i when i hit the bottom in Georgia, it was me sitting in a house that had no lights, no water, my four-year-old son, because she only took two of them, she, oh, sent, wow. she sent the oldest back to his mom because I had been previously married. And she said, well, you take care of Brandon. So I'm sitting in a house with no lights, no water, a four-year-old, and it's a foreclosed house. So eventually they're coming away. And I had just gotten out of the Navy, which was the only thing I had known for a decade and a half so I don't know how to do things I don't know how to you know set up medical appointments I don't know how to do anything because I have relied on my spouse to do these things this is this will, you know be a follow-on in later in this in this talk that we have on how you need to make sure you keep track of how to do things in your life <laughs> whether you're currently doing them or not you everybody needs to know a certain basic amount of life skills um, yes. because the military oh. doesn't you don't have to do that i'm told i was told when to go to the dentist i was told when to go to medical i was told when to do virtually anything that was like an adult the adult.
0: NFL thing. is the same
1: way. oh I'm sure your husband does this oh it, and time. it's not
0: even so I have I have clients and when they retire because I mean they start playing football or or soccer or baseball when they're four five six years old and then when they retire it's like the weight of the world is now I don't I didn't know I had to clean the the uh, lit thing and, and the drying machine like these, these basic things and it just makes them constantly it's like failure after small yeah. failures but failure yeah. after failure because these are things you feel like society tells you you need to know but you never learn them yeah I imagine that was really hard
1: it was hard um, I had a then I had a friend in Colorado um, where I had visited twice in my life and again I'm in a fog I don't know what to do so I'm like, I had very little money. I actually had friends that were lending me money and I said, well, let me take Brandon and let's go to Colorado and I'll stay with a friend out there. I just need a change of pace. <sighs> Went to Colorado with everything I could possibly pack in my truck, which meant i left a lot of things behind in the house because I could only pack what I could pack and drove to Colorado, 1800 miles. It's a long drive. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, got there and the friend I thought was going to stay with was like not really willing to let me stay. So now I'm in a completely different environment. I end up staying at a Motel 6 every night with my son who I now have to enroll in school. So I had to enroll him in school in kindergarten. While well, we were technically homeless. homeless, and so I only had enough money to stay at that Motel Six. You know, I was, you know, scraping to get by. I was able to finally get SNAP benefits, EBT card when I was in Colorado, so we were able to eat meagerly. Um, and my friend's money ran out. I had no contact with my family. Nobody knew what was going on. And. Um, and I was a dire. Stra- I was just in dire straits, and um,
0: this is like I'm on the brink of tears right now. Just knowing where you are right now, because I manage your money, and where you, where you yeah. were when you're talking. I mean, you have come so far, Lee.
1: And that's why I know people can can do a lot more than they think they may be able to. And that's because now, don't get me wrong. A lot of good luck um, comes along with adversity um, and when I say that it doesn't mean it got any easier it just means you made the right choices at the right time um, so we're we're basically saying this motel 6 I contact Brandon's mother and I say look I he can't stay here it would there's just no way the, to, you know uh, he's got to go back with you because things are bad she came there she got him and left I couldn't afford to stay in the motel anymore so I was stayed in my truck for two weeks I was staying in my truck and this is where I talk about luck I have an aunt who heard her husband this is how crazy this is I have an aunt who heard her husband go to every state we're going to every state in um in uh the united states and doing some kind of like half marathon walk that's just what they do i hadn't contacted my family in forever mind you because i didn't want them to know what was going over with me i had my cell phone but i like you know we don't talk like on the normal really so it wasn't out, out of the ordinary for them not to hear from me I may have texted them once or twice and said hey what's up doing fine whatever but that was complete bullshit um, so I'm in a Waffle House eating like hash browns like that that's all oh, I could afford right now and I'm in Colorado Springs my aunt happens to text me this is how by chance this is and says, hey, how are you doing? And I just happened to say, hey, doing all right. Just wanted to let you know, I moved to Colorado. And she said, oh, what part of Colorado? And I said, Colorado Springs. And she said, well, we're there right now. That's our 50th state. We hadn't walked any of the other states, but there isn't that odd. And. 15 minutes later, because of where they were at, they showed up to the same Waffle House to say hi to me. They had no idea what I was going through. You know, I'm sitting there in clothes, eating, and they walk in and I give them hugs and everything. And um, if they didn't walk in there, if they weren't there, and we didn't have that conversation, I would probably either be living under an overpass, begging for money, were not here wow. and as crazy as that sounds it is just unbelievable it doesn't now, sound
0: crazy
1: so uh, they lent me a hundred bucks because you know they are not well to do but they took all of their money to get there and um, it was enough money for me to drive all the way back to the east coast where at least I knew things mm-hmm. and um, I was lucky enough to get back I found a roommate a lady who lived at the beach in Punta Beach, who off Craigslist, who said, "Yeah, you can stay with me, and <laughs> let me rent a room from her." I got a job at a plumbing company here in town, uh, David Gray Plumbing. I was a dispatcher, you know, dispatcher plumber. So now I've got a thirteen-hour, a uh, thirteen-dollar-an-hour job. I've got a place to stay. I like. It just started you know, from there and started coming back. I started paying what little how debts are I had. How old you? Uh, right now? No, 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 at the time, I'm 36.
0: All right, now how old are you now?
1: 45.
0: How old were you when life this, took this dramatic turn for the worst?
1: Uh, I was 30, I was 35.
0: Oh, wow, so this is all over a year.
1: Oh yeah, going from the navy into like mm-hmm. poverty yeah. in Precious. Colorado Springs. Yes. Truff. Yeah, that's that's how fast that happened, wow. um, and that's you know it's it wasn't a, it wasn't necessarily a slow decline, it was fast, it was real fast. I mean. You know it might not be fast to some people to say well you went from a year you know being the cream of the crop in the united states navy for to to you know living on the streets with no job <laughs> but um you know the fact that it, it did take a long time to get where i am now
0: oh Through yeah i mean t- i'm just astonished because i've never we've had some deep conversations and we, we've never crossed this one
1: nah. um but I, I feel th- I like saw- I
0: wish we would have because, I mean, I've been w- at, at the bottom and, and lost a lot of, maybe not financially, but I, I lost a lot of who I was. So a lot of the things you're talking about, I can, I too was once in a Waffle House contemplating suicide in Tallahassee, Florida. And, I mean, the turnaround from that point, and I'm sure everyone has an experience, maybe not as terrible as the one we're talking about right now, but... Everyone has an experience where they have to pick themselves, they have to make a decision, whether they pick themselves up and rebuild or they don't. Right. And I mean, just knowing where you are right now, it's just crazy that from what you're talking about to to where you are today. But going to the next point, which you've touched on briefly, but I do want you to revisit that. What are some specific takeaways someone could learn from your failure? Because what you're going through, maybe not the exact situation, but the place of having to rebuild everything, or especially everything with a child, um, I, I'm sure there's plenty of people that will see this and be like, I've been there,
1: or I'm there. I think, uh, I think. Well, there's kind of two questions in there, and the first one I think was kind of like, how do you, how do you pick yourself back up, or how do you avoid maybe that getting that deep in a failure, mm-hmm. and. I think you always need to have some kind of pulse, and this is what I lost, on who you are on a regular basis. When I was, when I was in the Navy and I was working, I was working my ass off, but I was Petty Officer or Chief Petty Officer DeCardinas. Even, even people who were in the Navy with me, when they see you out in town, they call you by your last name they don't call you by your normal name and in fact my last name was so damn hard to pronounce not only did you screw it up in the beginning but no one else in the navy knew how to say it so they called me d Th- that's all anybody ever called me and here's the problem with that that's like an alter ego that's like a superhero kind of mentality right so when you're that other person constantly you completely forget at least i did i completely forgot what was important to me, where I came from, as far as, you know, younger getting into the the Navy, I really didn't remember to hold on to who I was prior to that. And in doing that, I'm not saying you can't grow from what you are when you're young, but those experiences that you have when you're young are important. And I just shed all of that from my life and Became a sailor and didn't pay attention to the values that kind of got me to the start of being a sailor. Um, you know, when you were in that Waffle House, you know, um, and going through that stuff, you know, I, I I wondered if you had a lot of adversity, you had a lot of problems at that moment. But if you look back to a certain time frame before all the horribleness that got you. I don't know if there was but there may have been a point where things were okay with you at least you know um, with your family with your mental state with with different things that were going on with you and that's what I think is important is whatever adversity you're going through try to remember the time in your life when you were cared about you cared about things. the future had hope um, because if you lose that hope and you forget that it that there's a possible um, better future um, it's it's really hard to pull yourself out of that it really is and, and it's gonna it's going to allow you to suck your to, to keep you down in the failure that you've got buried in and and you're you're not gonna you're gonna not come out of it, and you're going to make even worse choices. I think as a result.
0: So to to the audience, uh, what he's talking about is actually a tool called visualization. Visualization, and that's where you visualize something over and over and over again, and it trains your brain to revisit. And you have to be really intentional when you do it. You think about how you feel. You think about. Uh, Like in your visualization, if there's a table, you touch the table, you create this vision that you can revisit to and use as a tool when you're in periods of just total depression. I still use it today. I have a specific memory where I can still close my eyes at any given moment and I can visualize myself at this place. I can touch the things around me. I can feel the feelings and then this sounds crazy but it is a tool you can use. One, if you suffer from depression, bipolar, it's a tool you can use if you, even if you don't, and you're in a spot where you're going towards a situation that Lee and I are talking about. Visualization is so powerful. Athletes use it all the time. It's um, definitely an important tool to get you out of shitty, overall shitty time yeah um, no, that sounds like what you're
1: talking about it is it is and it's just like um intentionally doing it's important and everybody in the world there's an involuntary thing right if you smell something when mm-hmm. you know that reminds you it's a reminiscent kind of thing and this this is the same kind of thing except you're intentionally doing it to bring yourself to a good place Yep. And, or you know or whatever place you need to be in and I think that's that's really smart. that's really good information for everybody.
0: Yes, that And I also have a happy box where it's a, literally a physical box and in it are just things that make me happy. It was when I first started practicing my, this visualization exercise we're talking about and I would touch things and smell things to get me to that place. highly recommend it. It's called a happy box create one.
1: Can I, can I send you something for your? Box. Can I send you something for your happy box? You can, <laughs> but it has
0: to genuinely make me happy.
1: I I know, I know. It wouldn't be something, it wouldn't be something out of out of character or anything.
0: But but it, it does work really good. It's also a really good thing to do with kids. But neither yeah. here nor there. Yeah. Um, how has failure shaped your personal life? I mean, we this was kind of like a career slash personal failure. You kind of were able to merge everything together but how did that failure shape you as a person today how did you fail forward from it
1: so the biggest thing I can say is um, I definitely again figured out what was important to me in my life and um, be able to share that with the important people in my life once I was able to once I was able to center myself and realize that I had a future and I can be something and I can share that with you know my children with others around me I, I thought that um, it really would help me understand that moving forward I could improve each and every day and that's what I've tried to do since being at my lowest points i've tried to improve each and every day and remember how special each day is because like you i didn't know how many days i had left you know and once you get to that point and we're fortunate enough we came snapped out of that funk and you know successful and or not successful but we 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 achieved what we wanted to achieve going forward Um, it's all about surrounding your own self with positivity and that can come from within it can come from outside but recognizing where's the bad place to go and not going there just like you said about the the table and touching it and things like that that kind of gets you back to where you belong or to help you through a difficult situation same kind of thing just every every instance of that I would you know pretend it's fire and not touch it
0: yeah not to be I want there's two things I want to talk about before okay. we conclude and that was one waffle house is awesome it has absolutely no no Absol- I mean I the still hurricane eat it.
1: the hurricane thing I mean think about it it's unless it's a cat five they're open. <laughs>
0: I know. I love them, even though it's the place I went literally before I, well, before I was, like, thinking about committing suicide. Um, I still go there at least twice a month. Great food. Fresh. I mean, you see them make it. Well, oh, yeah. I just wanted to touch on that because I feel like correlation is not causation. Waffle House did not make me suicidal. Um, but we talked about medicine, and I totally not against people being medicated, taking antidepressants, or any type, anything to help them get through something, but I'm a firm believer, not a doctor, had to say that, not anything close to that. Um, medicine is not going to fix the problem. It is useless, maybe not useless, it is, you have to combine medicine with action, a behavior change. Otherwise, you're going to be right back in that Waffle House. I've seen it so many times I mean Lee can you speak to that it's not it's a band-aid
1: uh, I can so stabbing. so so I'll tell you I do take prescription medication every day um, from my doctor however just like you said it's a tool it is not the vehicle so it's got to be a combination of many different factors now there's some people can can do without it there's some people that that absolutely must have it um, the psycho, the the uh, the, uh, the drugs that I take, the psychotropic drugs that I take, they're cumulative, right? So you can't just like start them and stop them, like they're going to kind of mess you up if you do that. Um, there's been like a couple times where I'm like, oh, I forgot my medication. You know, I gotta take it. And and there's a difference. You can kind of feel, at least me, I can kind of feel that difference. It's not, you know, it's not going haywire, but it's a, you know, it's a feeling you have. Um, but at the same like time, that. but at the same time, you're absolutely right. Um, it took a lot, and it took a long time for that for my um, psychiatrist to find the right thing because it some things affects. One person one way some people get affected the other way you know some people can take completely different subject you know melatonin you can take melatonin at night before you go to sleep it's not gonna really hurt you if you take a bunch of melatonin doctors have said that but you shouldn't do it right you should just get natural sleep you should you not mess with your circadian rhythms and just go to sleep so um it's a tool and i think it's okay so long as it's not a crutch and it's the on, not the only thing you rely on, you need to have a healthy diet. You can't drink alcohol if you know in excess. You shouldn't be doing drugs. There's there's a number of of things that perhaps the person that's not got um, problems per se. And I, I re- I'm a firm believer, honestly, Kendall, that everybody on some level has the same issues that I have. Or, or anybody else I have a child who has autism and um, I'm here to tell you I'm, we're blessed to have him um, because you learn so much not only from your kids when you have kids you learn so much I know you as a mother now are, are are thirty percent smarter than you were before you were a mom and that doesn't mean you were dumb oh, yeah. before, but you know so much more about it just life. It opens up
0: a part of your brain <laughs> you don't have access to until you have kids. I mean,
1: right, right. And so and then having a special needs kid, there is another thing that kind of opens up in you just to kind of understand. And I'm here to tell you, just because I've seen him and I've seen other kids that that, that have the have the same label, let's say, um Everybody has autism. Everybody on some to level.
0: To
1: an I'll give you an example. Kids with autism do something called stemming. Stemming is kind of a response to calm themselves. Some kids, it's very extreme. Um, you know, they'll start banging on a wall or they'll start pounding on their desk or something like that. And it's not them being rambunctious. It's just their way of coping with things. And um, I'm like, wow, okay. And then the same doctor said, well, here's an example of why everybody stems. If you take your pencil and you just kind of like tap it back and forth on your desk while you're taking a test, like involuntarily, you've probably seen people do that, like in school, just tapping their pencil back and
0: forth. People who shake their legs. My husband
1: has this. That's exactly what that is. Terrible habit, it
0: drives me crazy.
1: It's stemming, that is called stem. It's the same exact thing and it's a comfort it's not. It's not something weird. It's not meant to be something that's unusual or <laughs> a pet peeve, pissing you off. It's just a uh, a comforting kind of motion that you're going through, and so many people do that who don't have autism. It's just. It's just a component of what they do. So it's really fascinating. Evan spins around. This is. He does it exactly. He spins around counterclockwise and looks at his right wrist. Wow. And it's the exact same thing every time. He doesn't spin clockwise. He always spins counterclockwise. He never looks at his left wrist. He only looks at his right wrist. And he'll just do that at random, and he'll do it for about 15 to 30 seconds, and then just completely stop and go back to what he was doing. Very strange. That's fascinating. I mean, that, I mean, we could have a whole episode on autism, to be honest, because it is just...
0: It's yeah. some of the things that I've heard from other clients a lot I have several clients that have autistic children like the things that they have learned from that experience it's just you would never there was no reason if your child was not autistic for you to ever know these things but it's a whole world of knowledge and a lot of it's rooted in just basic human behavior you yeah. can learn a lot about yourself Yeah. It just, which is what you speak to but yeah. thank you so oh. much <laughs> for sharing this story with us I definitely yep. think There's just so many lessons embedded in there. I feel like we could talk for hours about that because yours was truly intertwined personally and professionally. And I can't wait to see some of the feedback I get from this episode. Um, But with that, I'm going to end today's Failure Friday. I'm so thankful that you joined me in our fourth episode. If anybody else would like to sign up to be on an episode, now you have to be interesting. Uh, you have to be a good speaker, and um, we're booked until, I think it's March of next year, but let me know, and I'll send you the link. If you have any feedback, or if you would like to speak with Lee, Lee, where can people reach you, or would you prefer not to be reached?
1: Um, I could be reached. Uh, probably the easiest thing would be to email me. Uh, okay. It would be in my last name, uh, D De DeCardenas, l at yahoo.com um, and so uh, if you if we'll you write me I will yeah if you write me I will write back and um, just because this has been great you know I've told this story to very few people and the fact that this is going to reach a lot of people specifically ones I don't know and I think that makes it even more poignant because when you hear a story from someone you do not know um, I think a lot of times you take a little bit more you take a little bit more of it in just because it's like, okay, there's somebody out there that that I don't know who's been through all this adversity. Um, how about the people I do know? Should I reach out to them find out what they've been through? Yes. You know, so. Oh,
0: I love that because that's exactly why I did this. This was a great, this was a part of my childhood that I didn't realize was, had such an amazing effect on me until I became an adult and I was like, wow, nobody talks about, how screwed up they are, and how that has actually made them such a more fascinating person, a better business owner, a better mother, father. I mean, we should be talking about this. And I think that, like you said, when you don't know the person, your biases aren't going to affect how you take in that information as much. And that's why I I really want to encourage people, if you're not comfortable reaching out to Lee, you can reach out to me and I will ask him questions and give them back to you, but I thank you for coming on my platform and opening up your book, Lee, and I will talk to you soon.
1: Thank you so much, Kendall, and thank you to everybody uh, who took the time to watch this. I really appreciate it.
0: All right, good night, Lee.
1: Good night, thank you.